This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for August 30th, 2019. In this week's episode, Josh and Kirk answer listener questions about malware, a browser named Snowhaze, jailbreaking, or concerns about home surveillance, and clickjacking scripts. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Well, it's the end of summer and it's back to school time. And Josh was telling me before the show that his kids have gone back to school and Josh has a lot more time now to analyze malware. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it seems like I, there's never enough time to do all the fun things that I want to spend time on, but, um, I, I'm, that's your idea of fun. Okay. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, interestingly, there's always some good malware out there, uh, by good, I mean, interesting, of course, I don't mean good as right. in, you know, it's good that something harms you because obviously I don't mean that, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's always some, some fun new Mac malware. So we'll, we'll probably have an article sometime soon on the Intego Mac security blog about some new malware that we've been discovering. Well, for people like you, it's a challenge. It's a puzzle to try and figure these things out, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we come across malware in all sorts of different ways. And uh, sometimes, you know, for the most part, it's kind of the run of the mill stuff. It's just a new variant of some existing malware. But some, once in a while, you get something pretty interesting. So, um, you know, I hope we can share more about that in the near future. Okay, we've got some listener questions. Um, Randall writes in and he asks about the swap GS flaw, the latest Intel CPU flaw. Can this be defeated by disabling hyperthreading on the Mac? Josh? Yeah, the simple answer is yes. And as we've said before, um, and by the way, this particular flaw, swap GS, is actually a variant of the specter of vulnerabilities. Um, we have talked about them a number of times, link in the show notes to our past full coverage of that. Uh, this was, um, Spectre and Meltdown were, uh, kind of vulnerabilities that were discovered in Intel and other processors at the beginning of 2018, or technically they were discovered a little before then, but that's when the story started to break, when everyone had independently discovered them and started talking about them in the public. And so there have been a number of variations of those vulnerabilities since then. There are ways that you can turn off hyper-threading. Um, the easiest way to do that is actually with a software utility called CPU Setter. And we'll have a link in the show notes. It's a, a quick and simple way to, to do this. You can turn on and off hyper-threading at will, actually, through software, which is nice. So you don't actually have to go through this whole rigmarole and reboot your machine. Um, it's nice that there's a simpler option to do that. So if hyper-threading vulnerabilities concern you, CPU Setter is the easiest way to quickly mitigate those vulnerabilities. Okay, and a reader added a comment to one of our articles. So a few episodes ago, we talked about web browsers. We talked about the most secure web browsers for Mac and for iOS. 
Uh, we have two articles on the Indigo Max security blog, and if you missed them, I'll put links in the show notes. And Crimson Skies, I don't think that's a real name, points out that for iOS, there is a browser called Snowhaze, which Ms. or Mr. Skies says has no equal. Josh, you had never heard of this one. I had not, um, but I checked it out, and um, it does have a lot of features that uh, even Brave doesn't have. Remember, Brave is the one that I really like for iOS because it gives you the option to turn off JavaScript when a page loads by default. You can change that so that whenever you go to a page, JavaScript is just off, and then you can manually enable it if you choose to, which is nice. Even though it does break a lot of sites, I find that it's nice to do that just because it uh, you know provides a little bit of extra security and privacy. But Snowhaze takes this quite a bit further. <laughs> there are actually a whole bunch of additional things that you can turn off with Snowhaze, which is available for iOS. You can turn off images. You can turn off fonts. You know, so sometimes web pages will actually bring along a font and load a whole font just for that web page. Uh, and there's a number of other things, uh, HTTP refer headers and things like that. Uh, these are things that uh, some of these get pretty technical and geeky, but um, I just wanted to briefly share my experience with this. So now, as you know, I'm the kind of guy who likes to experiment with all these privacy features, and I don't care if it breaks things. Well, I guess I learned from playing around with Snowhaze that I, I don't care if it breaks things to a point. At a, at a certain point, you know, once you enable all these features all these privacy enhancing features and basically disabling all these standard features of web pages. Now nothing works. I mean, it's way worse than just turning off JavaScript. So if you are extremely paranoid and you want, you know, that little tiny bit of extra privacy, you can certainly try snow haze and, you know, disable everything, but Chances are you're going to be like me. If, if if it bothers me, if I can't even stand to use it, then uh, I, I don't think that probably too many people are going to be able to handle it. But Snowhaze is interesting. It's worth playing around with at least to, to see what options it has. And, you know, maybe you can tweak it a little so that you're turning off JavaScript and maybe one or two other things. But if you get too crazy with it, it's just impossible to use the web anymore. Okay, there'll be a link in the show notes. And if anyone does try it out, do drop us a line at podcastedintigo.com and tell us what you think. Um, it doesn't sound like the kind of thing that I would appreciate. <laughs> and while I understand the need for privacy and security, as you say, if it goes that far and it makes my browsing experience too complicated, then it's not a tool anymore. Right. It became very frustrating for me <laughs> once I tried to take it to the extreme and then tried to roll back one feature at a time to get certain pages to work. It just wasn't worth my time. Okay. Uh, Apple released uh, iOS 12.4 about 10 days ago, and they did something a little bit surprising. They unpatched a vulnerability that had been fixed in iOS 12.3. So let's understand this. 12.3 came out and it fixed the vulnerability. 12.4 came out and oops. And so they had to release, what is it, 12.4.1 to fix that. And this is a vulnerability that allowed jailbreaking of iOS devices. Now, we've mentioned jailbreaking in passing. And I don't know about you, Josh, maybe we should do a show explaining what jailbreaking is and how it works. 
Um, it's essentially a way of installing software other than iOS using a vulnerability to basically crack the system. And, and some people use this because they want apps that aren't sold on the App Store. Uh, we'll link in the show notes to an article on Mac Rumors. And, and one thing I noticed in the comments is someone is asking, you know, do people really still jailbreak? And someone replies that the jailbreak subreddit has over 300,000 subscribers. And after the last couple of releases, it seems to be gathering some popularity. Now, I've never jailbroken a device. I never found it worth doing. My son's first iOS device was the first iPod Touch, and he naturally wanted to jailbreak it just because. Um, he didn't do it for very long. Um, but So there's two things here. One is that they released an update that unpatched a fix. And what do you think about jailbreaking? <laughs> okay. So, so first of all, I'll tackle the unpatching something that was patched. Um, we've, we've actually seen this happen before. It does happen from time to time, not just with Apple software. It happens with other software too, where sometimes, you know, a particular branch of code gets modified and they modified the wrong branch. And what they should have done was update this other one that was newer and they accidentally maybe updated an older version. And so then they undid a patch. Um, and that's probably what happened behind the scenes here. So, of course, it was a little bit embarrassing for Apple because uh, now the jailbreak community was like, hey, remember that uh, jailbreak that we had for iOS 12.2? Well, guess what? It works again on 12.4. Hooray, we don't have to do anything new or find some new vulnerability to exploit. Um, so, it, you know, Apple did fix this again pretty quickly. So you can get iOS 12.4.1. And also the same vulnerability existed in Apple's other operating systems too. So while it doesn't necessarily have to do with jailbreaking on the other platforms, you'd still definitely want to make sure that you're installing the latest up updates to you know make sure that you don't have this vulnerability hanging around. To your Mac and to your Apple Watch and to your Apple TV. Right, exactly. Um, so what's my thought on jailbreaking? Uh, I've never personally jailbroken an iOS device. Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that I personally don't really see a need for. I think back, you know, in the early days of jailbreaking, one of the main reasons for it was so that people could, um, you know, install special apps that did things that Apple wouldn't allow you to do. And in fact, that's kind of still the main thing that it's used for. People like to uh, tweak the operating system in in ways that Apple won't let you. Um, jailbreaking allows for that. And similarly, uh, if there are certain apps that Apple won't allow in the App Store, uh, there are some third-party app stores that are only available if you're jailbreaking your device. And um, so, you know, there's a there's a small hacker community that really likes to jailbreak. Um, I one of the reasons that I don't particularly like jailbreaking is that, um, of course, then you don't have necessarily a very safe operating system on your device anymore. Um, the one iOS worm that I can recall was only able to spread to jailbroken iPhones um, because people who did the jailbreak left the default password and that made it possible for this worm to prop propagate to all of these jailbroken iPhones. And so it kind of became a, a problem for a brief period of time. So, 
you know, unless you really, really know what you're doing and you're really doing things to make sure that your security of your device is, you know, as good as it can be, um, this is really not the best idea to try to do something like this to your device. Okay, we've talked uh, a number of times about the new operating systems that are coming out, macOS Catalina, iOS 13. Um, if you are one of those people like me who runs the beta versions of this software, you will have noticed on an iOS device that there was an update that just came out for the iOS 13.1 beta. Now, the way it works is you get the iOS 13 beta 1, beta 2, beta 3, etc., and then you get the GM, the gold master, which is considered to be the shipping version. You never get a beta update to a dot one release until after the gold master has been released, and it could be before it actually ships, before the iPhone actually comes out, but there's always this sort of clear demarcation point between this is shipping and now this is the future. But Apple released a 13.1 beta. iOS 13 is not out yet. And this suggests a couple of things. One is that um, we're recording this on the 29th. We're releasing this on the 30th of August. And it's thought that today or tomorrow, Apple will issue invitations for their presentation of the new iPhone, which should be around September 10th, 12th, something like that. So one of the thoughts is that iOS 13 is not going to be finished in time for the new iPhone, that Apple has shipped new iPhones already, or they've got them in the channel with iOS 13, and that the day that the iPhone is released, iOS 13.1 will come out. So this iOS 13.1 is technically the beta of the gold master that fixes the gold master that's on the iPhone. It's confusing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this is pretty unusual, but at the same time, I you know, if I, I can see a reason why Apple might want to do something like this, even if they're not necessarily planning on releasing iOS 13.1 immediately upon the release of the new iPhone. Um, one reason that they might want to do this is if there are particular features that they know are not going to be included in iOS 13, the very first release, but they want to start beta testing those features. And maybe it's something to do with that. Maybe there's something in 13.1. I don't know. I, I'm not actually using the betas. And even if I were, I couldn't really say much about it under non-disclosure agreement and all. But uh, I suspect that's probably what's going on here is that 13.1 has some new features that they're going to start having people test. And that's why they're already starting to put 13.1 out, even though 13 is not available generally yet. So this is both for the developer versions and for the public beta. Um, often there's a few days between the release of a developer beta and a public beta, but this came out either later the same day or the following day. It was very quick. We'll, we'll know very soon um, which version is going to ship. Now, one thing to bear in mind, uh, if you get an iPhone with iOS 13 and if you're running the beta of iOS 13.1 and you back up your iPhone and you want to restore it to the official version of iOS 13 on a new iPhone, you won't be able to do it. You'll have to update the new iPhone to iOS 13.1. This pretty much happens to me every year. I back up my iPhone, I get a new iPhone and I plug it in. Oop, the backup is too recent. So you have to set up the new iPhone as new, then update it, then restore the backup. Now, Apple apparently has this new system where you can transfer data either by Wi-Fi, point-to-point Wi-Fi from the old iPhone to the new one, 
or using a cable. And I'm looking forward to perhaps using that this year. But you'll need to remember if you are running the beta that your backups will be later than the beta of the new device. So it's this can get confusing. Yeah. You're better off not running the beta. <laughs> the only reason I do it is because I write about this stuff. And so I need to know about it in advance. But it really doesn't, you know, gaining a few weeks on new features doesn't make that much of a difference. Right, right. And for the average user, there's really no reason to to use a beta unless you want to show off. Um, <laughs> that, that's that's kind of the typical thing that uh, everyday users sometimes like to do. Uh, for example, when Memoji was a new thing, everyone wanted to see what they looked like as a Memoji. And so a lot of people downloaded the iOS 12 beta, public beta uh, early just so that they could show off to their friends. But before we take a break, can you do this in one minute? Apple patched a bug on July 23rd and Google has released details about it. And it's actually kind of interesting. It was an iMessage bug. Yeah. 60 seconds. Go. Okay. So Google does this a lot. Project zero is their, uh, project for finding vulnerabilities and disclosing them uh, to vendors like Apple. And then they give a disclosure window. So they give like 90 days. And so Apple did patch this. And once a vulnerability has been patched, then Google will report the full details of it a certain period of time after that has been patched for the general public. And so that's what they did here. Um, It's just Interesting. We'll have a link in the show notes if you want to learn more about the vulnerability. The reason I thought it was worth mentioning is that because there's a lot of detail out there now, you want to make sure that you have installed the latest update to iOS because if you're still running an old version, then you know now people know how to exploit that vulnerability. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and tell you that more people are listening to everything you say in your home. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac User Center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 40% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, Parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 40%. That's PODCAST19 to save 40% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego. Devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. Okay, everyone is listening. It's time to say that it is official. Everyone is listening. Everyone who has a device in your home that has a microphone is listening. We have three stories this week. We'll go through them. It's more like the idea here that we want to talk about than the specifics of each one. But Apple apologizes for allowing workers to listen to their Siri recordings. This is from The Guardian. 
Um, Microsoft contractors listen to Xbox owners in their homes. This is from Vice. And doorbell camera firm Ring has partnered with 400 police forces, extending surveillance reach. And that's from the Washington Post. These three stories aren't exactly the same. The first two are that you have devices in your home and people are listening. But the third is a bit Orwellian that you've got this doorbell camera, which you find really practical. Someone rings the doorbell, you pick up your iPhone, you can see who it is. You can, instead of running down, when you get out of the shower, you can talk to the person and say, well, leave the package over there or wait for me, I'll be right down. But if these devices are going to all of a sudden be a sort of panopticon and, you know, imagine there's 10 people on your block who have these and everything will be, it's, it's not even like they have to try very hard to add this surveillance infrastructure. We're just doing it for them. Yeah. You know, this is something that, you know, p- people who own a ring doorbell camera are not actually explicitly consenting to have, you know, these 400 police forces have access to, to their video feeds. Uh, you know, I, I have a ring doorbell and it's got a camera in it and I never signed anything saying, yeah, I agree to this. I never clicked on a box saying, yeah, I, I totally approve. And I would like my doorbell to be used this way. Um, but ring has decided and ring, by the way, is an Amazon company. Uh, but this company has just decided, uh, to go ahead and partner now. Okay. Okay. All right. I know we're going to have listeners who are going to say, but wait a minute, hold on. Isn't that good? Because this is going to, you know, help solve crimes and stuff like that. Right. Um, what's so bad about the police being able to use this if it's going to catch bad guys? Well, okay, fair enough. But also, what if I don't necessarily want whatever is going on in my yard to be recorded and available to whoever, you know, Um, if the police have access to What if I live across the street from you and I don't want you recording my activities when I come in and out of my house? Right, exactly. And, you know, it is possible for things like this to get picked up on cameras. You know, there are... Uh, people down the street from me who have a ring doorbell and they've got neighbors across the street who don't. Um, My my neighbor across the street probably doesn't have one. Um, But, you know. But they have very wide angles so they can see more than just the house across the street. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can see things that are going on in the street. You know, people walking down the street could get picked up on these. Things that our people are saying from across the street can be heard. Um, So, you know, this this is sort of um, uh, like you say. It's 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 a little bit Orwellian. I, I I'm I don't know how I feel about the idea that now a whole bunch of additional people can tap into my doorbell whenever they want to. That feels wrong on on some level to me. But. What that says is that the ring is recording all the time. Now, I would expect that a smart doorbell only records when someone presses the button or maybe it's got a proximity sensor so it can detect when someone's within, say, 10 feet. But this suggests that it's recording all the time, right? Well, I I, I know the way that ring doorbells work is that they're not constantly recording. They do have motion sensors and also, of course, they turn on, they activate when somebody presses the, the button to ring. Um, 
but there's also a capability where you can remotely activate your camera too. So if you've got the Ring app on your phone, you can from anywhere in the world, you know, turn it on and take a look at what's going on in front of your camera, regardless of whether there's any motion or whether anyone's ringing the bell. So okay, um, that's where this gets kind of strange and a little bit creepy that the idea that uh, you could have somebody else, you know, without your permission, activating your camera whenever they want. That's that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> the one thing I wonder about these devices, I just have a cheap doorbell that I guess it's radio frequency. Um, it's stuck by my door and we have these two bells, one on each floor that goes into a, a power plug and they ring. Um, but wouldn't someone just steal one of these things? It, it, these aren't, it's a hundred bucks. It's not expensive, but it's not that cheap. Uh, if you put something outside in front of your house, it's not, it's not welded to your wall or your door. No, uh, <laughs> it's not. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that some people have uh, stolen these video doorbells before, um, at least you have a video of them as they steal yeah, it. Yeah, theoretically, if it works, which unfortunately, in my experience, the ring doorbell is not all that great. Really? <laughs> it doesn't okay. always activate when it should. And sometimes the battery dies a little quicker than it should. And you don't know about it sometimes until after it's been dead for a day and you go, hey, nobody's been ringing the doorbell. I thought we got a package earlier. And then you go, oh, great. Yeah, yeah the do- battery's dead again. That's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't think I want one of those. I do have dash cams in both my cars, though, and I consider that to be a little bit different because if you do get into an accident that's someone else's fault, you'll have uh, video proof of it. Right, right. Well, you know, I mean, one of the whole reasons to to even get one of these video doorbells, a lot of times people want to see, hey, is someone stealing a package? Is someone, you know, uh, ransacking my mailbox? You know, when when that kind of thing happens, you would like to be able to have something to turn over to the police, right? Whether or not they're actually going to find the person responsible is another story, but at least you feel better knowing that you've done something to try to catch them or help the police catch them. Yeah, and let's say you've got a package coming from Amazon uh, and someone steals it, you can prove that it was stolen and that the delivery person shouldn't have just left it in front of your door. Right. And, or in some cases you have delivery people who put something down, take a picture and then take off with it. And it's really fun to see the video recordings of that kind of thing happening. Okay. Let's talk about click jacking. Uh, A bunch of academics did some analysis on 613 popular sites. They found click jacking scripts. So can you give us a 60 second explanation of what a clickjacking script is and why it's bad. Yeah, so clickjacking is essentially when there's kind of a, a hidden layer that makes it so that when you click on something, you're actually clicking on something underneath the thing that you think you're clicking on. So there's something, there's kind of a hidden layer. And sometimes uh, sites will do this as a way to kind of get you to click on ads. But uh, in this particular article from ZDNet, they're talking about um, researchers who have found that there are apparently malicious parties that are embedding these this these clickjacking scripts into legitimate sites. So it's not necessarily that the website operator has intentionally put some sort of clickjacking script. It's more that 
um, somebody has somehow gotten these scripts onto someone else's site um, to to do something nefarious. So what exactly do these clickjacking scripts do? Clickjacking suggests they're hijacking clicks. Why do they do this? Uh, it's mostly, you know, an ad revenue thing. You know, when it comes to, you know, fake clicks or illegitimate clicks, uh, you know, on an advertisement, um, someone clicks on your ad, then, uh, you know, that looks good for for somebody who's who's offering that ad right because um, it looks like your site is popular and ads are getting clicked on and those those kind of things so and your website is making money from the extra clicks because you get paid by click exactly right so this is one of those things that um you know a, a shady website could choose to do on their own uh, but in this case, according to this research, it seems like um, these are malicious actors who are injecting rogues, rogue scripts somehow. So, uh, and the, the, there are certain ways that this could happen. It could be that um, you know maybe an advertisement on a page is doing something that it shouldn't be doing that causes clickjacking to be a possibility on the page. It could be that uh, maybe the website is embedding JavaScript code from some other site and then either that site got hacked and the JavaScript code that's hosted somewhere else got changed or in some cases domains expire and then the bad guys just buy up those domains and they can put their own malicious JavaScript in place of the old one. Um, and now all the sites that were pointing to that JavaScript file are now pointing to something malicious. Okay. Okay. But it's not malware. It's not no, it's not malware in the in the sense of something that's infecting your machine. Um, but it is certainly undesirable and not something that you want going on in your browser. Okay, final story from BuzzFeed. You can finally see all of the info that Facebook collected about you from other websites. Uh, This is something that uh, Mark Zuckerberg announced more than a year ago, a clear history feature, uh, what they call off-Facebook activity, and you can finally see it. I haven't looked at mine yet because I never log into a website with Facebook. I know they're still tracking me with cookies on other websites, but I use tracker blockers, so I block Facebook on other websites. So they probably don't have much about me. Yeah, I suspect it's going to be the same thing for me as well. But we'll have a link in the show notes with some guidance on how you can find out what Facebook has about you. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's worth checking out. Uh, if you are using one of these tracker blockers in your browser, or if you're mostly browsing in private browsing mode, and if you're not typically logging into other sites with Facebook, there's a pretty good chance that there's they're not going to have too much on you. But hey, you might be surprised. If you find anything surprising, definitely let us know, podcast at intego.com. Uh, this isn't available to everyone yet. The BuzzFeed article says that some people in Ireland, South Korea, and Spain will get access to this first. I just checked mine. I don't have it. Uh, this will be rolling out around the world in the coming months. So we'll look back at this near the end of the year and see if they have anything. Because... Um, what, what the article says is that this tracks your history using the login with Facebook button, which I never use, the like button, which I don't even see, Facebook comments, which I don't use, and little bits of invisible code called the Facebook pixel that are embedded on other sites and BuzzFeed specifies, including BuzzFeed News. Uh-huh. So it, the question is whether this is actually blocked. Um, I'm using 
Ghostery to block trackers, and it's blocking Facebook Connect is one of them. But could that pixel be something that Ghostery is not picking up? I don't know. So I'm actually curious about this. Since I'd never used these features, how much of my activity Facebook has? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ghostery will be blocking it. I use uBlock Origin and also in Firefox or Waterfox, I use NoScript as well. Um, which is just blocking all the scripts. So um, between the two of those things, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm safe from the Facebook pixel, but um, we'll see. Okay, that's enough for this week. We'll be back next week, as usual, with more news. Josh, until then, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>